You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Open up your Bible to Genesis 14. If you need a Bible, the ushers are in the aisles. They'll give you one. Uh, and uh, definitely take one because you'll enjoy the study so much more. Uh, we are going through the book of Genesis. And we've seen that God made this covenant with a man named who? What's his name? Abram. Abram. Uh, it's the Abrahamic covenant. And Abram, God has made this covenant with him. And here's the purpose of the covenant. Uh, Abram was a pagan. He wasn't like he was a good guy. He was an idol worshiper. He grew up in a house of idol worshipers. His dad, Terah, was an idol worshiper. He was a total pagan. And the whole world really was. Uh, they, they, uh, the, the world had gone astray. And God says, I'm going to call one man to, him, to myself. And I'm going to reveal my love, my grace, my mercy on this man's life. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to make him a great nation. And I'm going to pour my word into him. I'm going to lead, guide, and direct him into all truth. And I'm going to make a great nation out of him. Why? So that all the world will know that his God is God. That all the world will see the true and living God in contrast to the false gods that they're all serving. Same thing that God wants to do on us. Here we're going to be on Wednesday nights and we're, we're just going to, we're going to show the love of Jesus, right? And the world's going to go, wow, look at those guys. Uh, that's what God is doing with Abraham. He's calling one man to himself to be a light to the whole world. A nation, Israel, that will reveal the light and the love and the, the truth and the wisdom of God to the entire world. So much so that God even promised, hey, uh, you're going to have a homeland, the nation Israel forever, and the Messiah is going to come through you. In you, all the people of the earth will be blessed. That is the Abrahamic covenant that we looked at. Uh, Abraham is learning how to walk with God. He's learning how to have faith. And a trial comes his way, and he doesn't do real well. He goes to Egypt, right? We looked at that last week. He lies, he cheats, he steals. Uh, there he goes to Egypt and he gets in all kinds of problems. Uh, he comes, gets kicked out of Egypt and goes back to the promised land, go back to the place where God had called him to be. And uh, God had blessed them so much that uh, he and his nephew Lot had become so wealthy that the land could not hold him. Uh, the land could not uh, hold, feed all the sheep and cattle and livestock that they were given. And so they had to separate. Lot chose the best place for himself. He looked around. He sees desert over here. He sees desert over here. He sees desert back here. But over here, this rich and verdant land, it was well watered. The soil was super fertile. Uh, the vegetation was lush. It was so prosperous that you didn't even have to work very hard to produce a crop. And he said, I'll choose that for myself. And he burns his uncle Abram. And he takes that land for himself. It should have been Abram's choice. Abram took the high road. He said, no problem. You go there. And uh, uh, now we pick up the story. And guess who's in trouble? Lot. 
the guy who took that land. And uh, so this epic story continues. Uh, I tell you what, I mentioned it last week, this is just one heck of a story. It is like a blockbuster. If you made a movie out of this, it would be incredible, right? And here we're in this next chapter, this next saga of this incredible story. Uh, chapter 14, if you're there, give me a big amen. amen. Title of the message, The Astounding Grace of God. In this story, we are going to see God's astounding grace, and it is miraculous. Uh, now, little, one more warning, one more little disclaimer before we get in. Uh, we're going we're gonna to read some funky names, okay? Uh, and we have to. We, we could just skip them, but then we wouldn't grab the story. In order to understand the story, uh, we got to go through some crazy names. And all I can say is... Uh, uh, we've come a long way, baby. We don't name our kids like this anymore. Uh, <laughs> chapter 14, verse 1. It came to pass in the days of Amraphel, the king of Shinar. Uh, Shinar is uh, ancient Chaldea. It's where Abram came from, right? Uh, he came from the Ur of the Chaldees. The Chaldea was a kingdom. And here we see this uh, Amraphel, he's the king of Shinar, uh, or the king of Chaldea. Uh, Chaldea later became Babylon, and uh, Babylon later became what? Iraq, yeah, so modern-day Iraq. So Amraphel, king of Shinar, or, or Iraq. Uh, and then there's Arioch, king of El Elasar. And then here's this really crazy name, and we've all got to learn it together because he's going to be a major player in this story. Kadar La Omar. Uh, let's all say that together. Kadar La Omar. One more time, because he's, we're, going to have to, we're going to have to get this. Kadar La Omar, all right? Kadar La Omar, he's the king of Elam. Elam is south Iran, uh, down by the Persian Gulf. Uh, it was ancient um, uh, uh, Persia, and uh, he's Kadar uh, La Omar. He's going to be this guy, the main player here. He's the king of Alam or South Iran. And then there's title, king of nations. Uh, you probably have a footnote in your Bible there for nations. It's the word Hebrew word goy, which just means Gentile. He wasn't the king of all the nations. He was the king of goy, uh, a Gentile little area uh, that we don't know where that is today. Uh, so there are these, uh, oh, we've got... Uh, yeah, there are these four kings there, right? One, two, three, four, right? And now, they make war with five kings. Uh, the first king is Bera, king of Sodom. Uh, that's where Lot is at, right? There's Bersha, king of Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were two towns right next to each other. There's Shinab, king of Adma. And there's Shem-Eber, king of Zimboim, your boy Zimboim. Uh, and then there's the fifth king, the king of Bela, that is Zor. So there's five kings here, and all of these kings join together in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. And 12 years they served Kador La Omer, and in the 13th year they rebelled. 
Uh, let's see if we can unpack that a little bit and make sense of this. In Abraham's time, most cities had their own kings. Each city had their own little king, kind of like today we have a governor here and a governor there and that kind of thing, right? Uh, well, they had kings in that time. And each, each little town, each city had its own king. And because there were so many kings with little kingdoms, guess what there was a lot of? Wars, yeah. As each king would want to expand his kingdom, he'd want to go beat up the king next to him and take over his land. And so in order to deal with that, uh, they came up with uh, this idea, something called a vassal king. How many of you know the term vassal king? Uh, a vassal king is a king who is subject to another king. And so here's how it would work. Uh, you guys, let's say, are the king of Carlsbad. Congratulations. <laughs> and then there's the king of Oceanside. And then there's the king of Vista. And then there's the king of San Marcos. And uh, there's a king of a really evil king, a really wicked king of Encinitas and Lucadia. <laughs> and you as the king of Carlsbad, you're worried about this king of Encinitas and Lucadia and Del Mar and Rancho Santa Fe. <laughs> and so here's what you say. You say, hey, let's form an alliance. King of Carlsbad, with the King of Oceanside, with the King of Vista, with the King of San Marcos, we'll come together. And uh, uh, since you're the King of Carlsbad and you're bigger than all of us, these Kings of Vista and Oceanside, and we'll, we'll pay you tribute. And here's how it'll work. If the king, evil King of Encinitas and Lucadia in Rancho Santa Fe come against us, we'll gather together and we will fight as one. And if they attack Vista... It's like they attack Carlsbad. If they attack Carlsbad, it's like they attack Vista. We'll be one, and we'll be able to outpower that evil king in Encinitas and, and Lucadia and Rancho Santa Fe, and, and uh, uh, we'll have this alliance. And so that's what's happening here. And in verse 1, you have this group of four kings that are in this alliance. And in verse 2, you have this group of five kings. And notice what it says. It says that uh, this king, Kador La Omer, he was the powerful king, and he had these five kings, these five cities, paying him tribute for 12 years. For 12 years, they were paying tribute, everything was going fine, but as they began to get stronger themselves, in the 13th year, what did they say? No more tribute. We're breaking free. It's July 4th, and we're declaring our independence, right? Uh, uh, they break free of King Kedar La Omar. We're not paying tribute anymore. Well, needless to say, that didn't go over too well. And uh, what do you think King Kedar La Omar is going to do? Well, let's take a look. Let's read. Uh, uh, this is a, a, a great story. Um, verse 5. In the 14th year... Of Kadar La Omar, excuse me, in the 14th year, Kadar La Omar and the three kings that were with him, this four king alliance that was in verse 1, they came and attacked Rephium in Ashtaroth, 
They attack the zoo, uh, the Zuzim in Ham. They attack the Eman in Shavev Kirithem. You don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, verse 6. And the Horites in the mountain of Seir, as far as, far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And here, let me just kind of summarize this. Kadar La Omar, in his alliance with these three kings, is going against all the allies of these five kings. And before he goes against these five kings, he goes and wipes out all the small little ancillary towns near them and wipes out all their allies so that they can't form the very thing that he has formed to come against him, right? Uh, uh, pretty smart. Verse 7. Uh, so after they attacked them, then they turned back and came to in Mishfat, that is Kadesh, and attacked the country of the Amalekites. And also the Amorites who dwelt in Hazion in Tamar. So the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, these five kings, went out and joined together in the, valley, in the, in the battle of the valley of Sedom. Against Kadar La Omar, the king of Elam, against Tidal, the king of Goy, or nations, against Amraphel, the king of Shinar, and against Arioch, the king of Eleazar, the four kings against five. In other words, they go to this battlefield, and it's battle on. King Kadar, Omar has gone, and he's taken out all the uh, ancillary small tribute kingdoms to these uh, to these five kings, and now these five kings go to, against, go to war against Kadar Lawamar with his three kings, these four kings. So we have four kings going against five, and the five are the ones who refuse to pay tribute. Are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? Do you understand the battle? And so here they are, verse 9, the battle is on. And uh, verse 10 uh, kind of sums it up. It doesn't give us really any details of the battle. just tells us what happened. Now the valley of Siddim was full of asphalt pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three kings with them. What does it say they did? They fled. In other words, they were defeated. And some fell there. They died there on this battlefield. And the remainder fled to the mountains in defeat. So Kadar La Omar is victorious over these five nations. Wipes them out and they all go fleeing. Then they, that's King Kadar La Omar and the, the other uh, three kings, took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and they took all their provisions and they went their way. Yeah, they went their way in the victory over these five kings, these five nations, and they're like, yeah, we're in control. We just dominated them. Uh, they were paying us tribute. Now we own all their land because they quit paying us. We just, they wiped them out. Verse 13, then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the timberinth trees in Mamre. Uh, there's Abram. 
and he's just relaxing at the Timrith trees and Mamre. Mamre's right by Jerusalem. He's not engaged in this war. He's not part of this war. Everything's good in his life. And one of these who escapes, uh, you know, one of the soldiers who didn't die and didn't get taken captive comes and tells Abram. And here's what's interesting. Why does he go tell Abram of all people? Shows you how powerful Abram has become. Shows you how significant he is. And we're going to see more about this in just a minute. Uh, he goes and he tells Abram because Abram has become a very uh, powerful man. And uh, by the way, it says Abram the Hebrew. Did you notice that? First use in the Bible of the word Hebrew. God says, this is my man who I've called to myself, who I'm asked to separate from the rest of the world, and now I'm going to make him his own nation, and now he is called a Hebrew. First time. Uh, so this, uh, this escaped soldier comes. He wasn't taken captive. He somehow broke free, and he goes and tells Abram what happened. Uh, verse 13, one more time. Then one who escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the timber trees of Mamre, <clears throat> the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol, and the brother of uh, Aner, uh, they were allies with Abram. So here we see Abram already has the same thing going. He's got other clans kind of coming and saying, hey, we'll be an ally with you. Abram is so, so strong already. Verse 14. Now, when Abram heard that his brother, it's actually his nephew, the word in Hebrew is kinsman, right? When his family was taken captive, who's that? Lot. Lot. A uh, big mistake, Kadar La Omar. You took Lot captive. Big mistake. Why was that a big mistake? Here's why. Because Lot, sinful Lot, wicked Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah Lot, backsliding Lot, belongs to God. God's amazing grace. God's astounding grace. Now we're going to watch God move mountains here uh, just to save a wayward, backsliding sinner. Um, verse 14, when Abram heard that his brother, his nephew, his, his family was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born out of his own house, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. Uh, amazing to consider here, some things that are just incredible. Abram has 318 trained warriors, armed and equipped, who were born in his house. That gives us an idea of the scope of Abram's company. There had to be at least a company of a thousand people to have 318 trained men in his house, right? And he pursues them as far as Dan. Uh, if you know Israel at all, Dan is all the way up to the tip-top north, all the way by Syria. Uh, there's a common phrase in the Bible, from Dan to, Ber to Beersheba, right? Uh, have you heard that phrase before? Uh, that's like saying from north to south, Dan is in the very top of Israel, and Beersheba is uh, all the way up by Syria, and uh, Beersheba is all the way down in the south there in the Negev of Israel, and it means the whole promised land. Now, Abram 
was in Mamre in, in Israel, which is right by Jerusalem. And Dan is 150 miles to the north. So Abram takes his soldiers, his trained armed soldiers that he has in his house. And he takes them 150 miles, pursues to go rescue Lot. All the way, 150 miles. Think of that. That has to take some time, right? Uh, and uh, here's how committed Abraham is to this, right? So he goes all the way up to Dan, verse 15. And he, that's Abram, divided his forces against them, that's against Kedar La Omar, by night. Uh, so let's think about what's happening. Uh, Kedar La Omar, they've just wiped out these five nations, right? Uh, they just beat them thoroughly. And now they've taken their wives, their family, their children, their loot, the booty of the land, all of this. And they're leading them back captive, back to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, excuse me, back to uh, uh, their, their territory where they were, right? And, uh, and so all the soldiers have been victorious in battle. The battle's over. Uh, they've got women and everything else that they've taken. What do you think they're doing at night? After their victory. Uh, they're probably getting sloshed. Uh, 4,000 years later, not much has changed, right? Uh, 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 so they're there. And Abram, verse 15, he divided his forces against them by night. And he, this is amazing, he, Abram, and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah. Uh, Hobah is an unknown area. We don't know where that is. Uh, but it tells us, which is north of Damascus. We know Damascus is an additional 50 miles north of Dan. So that means that Abram has now gone 200 miles. And Abram himself is participating in this. He's not calling the shots as a general from some tower. From some tower. He's on the battlefield. Uh, Abraham was one strong dude. I mean, this is impressive, is it not? This guy's 80 years old. And he is leading this, uh, now he's, he's middle-aged, uh, uh, but he's leading this battle uh, of these, and he, and he pursues them all the way up past Damascus. And look at verse 16. This is the Wahoo verse. So he brought back all of the goods, and he also brought back his brother Lot and all of his goods as well as the women and the people and all of the captives that were taken. Uh, everybody say, woohoo! Woo yeah, great news. I mean, just an amazing victory, right? Just amazing victory. Uh, now, uh, that's the story. We get the setting. We get the lay of the land. What an amazing story. And uh, I'd like to now digest it a little bit. As we look at this, there are two bizarre points that are really worthy of a lot of meditation. Uh, you're probably already caught them. You're probably already, already thinking about them. Uh, the first one is simply this. Abraham risked everything he has, even his own life, to rescue the man who wronged him. To rescue the man who the last time he saw him took advantage of him and burned him. Abram risks all of his wealth, 
all of his, everything, his livelihood, everything he's ever worked for, even his entire company, uh, risk even his own life, and he goes to war, literally goes to war for the guy that wronged him. Amazing. And you know what we see in this? Abram is already starting to look a lot like Jesus. Jesus said that he would leave the 90 and 9 to go and find the sinning backslider who has wandered away from the fold. And here, Lot, excuse me, Abram selflessly risks everything to go and to pursue uh, the one who had been uh, just a, 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 a taken advantage and, and used him and abused him. Just amazing. And it really reveals Jesus' love. Um, this is God's work in our life. As Abram is now beginning to learn who God is, his life is being transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. And this is God's work in you and I as well. And here we see what happens in our lives when we begin to walk by faith. I am so, as I mentioned earlier, I am so in awe of watching Jesus work in your life. I brag about you all the time. I am so thankful I get to be the pastor of such an amazing congregation. Last uh, night, we were here late at this memorial service, and it was beautiful, by the way. God's blessing just all over the, everything. It's just amazing. And I got to see people, as I mentioned earlier, that I hadn't seen in, in quite a long time. And you know what I bragged on? I bragged on the work that Jesus is doing in you. I, taught about, I taught, told them about just how you serve and how selfless you are and how whenever there's a, a, a need, you just rise to the occasion that we never have to look for leaders. We never have to ask for people to serve. And just, just You guys are amazing. And I, I, this, is, this is Jesus' work in your life. And you probably don't see it in yourself, but he's doing it, and it's glorious. And I'm sure Abram didn't see it in himself, but this is what, he's, what, this is what God's doing in his life. So here's the question, how does Abraham do this? How does he risk everything for the man that wronged him? How does he forgive like this? How does he so freely give? How does he so freely love? Well, the answer is really very simple. Abram was not high-minded. He was humble. And that will take us so far in life. Abram was not high-minded. He was not dwelling on Lot's failures from the past. He forgave Lot long before Lot ever asked him for forgiveness. He forgave Lot long before Lot ever said, I'm sorry. He had already forgiven Lot in his heart. And he had moved on unencumbered by his past, just living free. And you say, well, how in the world did he, did he do that? Well, Abram is empowered to do this by God. Do you know how? Because he's looking at how God treats him. And as he looks at how God treats him, that his mercies are new every morning. That God's grace is astounding. As he's looking at this, uh, 
He's empowered by God to do the impossible, to forgive and to serve the one who wronged him, to love his enemy. How does that work? Well, Abram, Abram remembers how he disobeyed God when God called him to leave the land of the Ur of the Chaldees and how he disobeyed God. And instead of going into Canaan where he was supposed to go, he went 610 miles to the north to a place called Haran. And he stayed there a long time. And he took his father with him, who he was supposed to leave. And he took Lot with him, who he was supposed to leave. And he goes the wrong direction, and he stays there a long time. And what does God do while he's there? He blesses his socks off. And Abram looks back at that and says, oh, Lord, I was such a knucklehead. I was going the wrong direction. I was going the wrong way. And you poured your abundant blessing on me. Abram remembers the mistakes he made going to Egypt when there was a famine. Oh my gosh, Lord, I trusted in Egypt more than I trusted you. And I was so insecure in my faith. I was so uh, unbelieving that you would take care of me. That I left you and I trusted Egypt over you. And I lied, I cheated, and I schemed all for self-preservation. I even almost threw away my marriage and the Abrahamic covenant in self-preservation. By saying Sarai is my sister so that Pharaoh didn't kill me to get my hot wife. I can't believe I was that selfish. I can't believe I was that sinful. I can't believe I was that consumed in my own affairs. And nevertheless, you protected me. You kept my wife from sleeping with the Pharaoh. You kept this covenant with me even when I didn't deserve it. And you poured your grace and mercy on me so that I came out of the land and I wanted to go straight back to the altar. And when I got to the altar to worship there, do you know what God did to Abram? He said, I can't believe you messed up so bad. Uh, this deal's over. No, he didn't do that. Do you know what, what God did when Abraham came back to the altar and said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I lacked faith. I didn't believe you. I trusted man more than you. I was more worried about man than you. I just totally blew it, Lord. Do you know what God did? God poured out his richest blessings on Abram again. He said, Abram, look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west. Look as far as you can in every direction. I want to give all of this to you. If you only understood my plans and my promises for you. Oh, Abram, receive it all. Inherit it all. And Abram goes, oh my goodness. Lord, you're so good. You're so amazing. Why did I trust anything else? And he's overwhelmed with God's incredible, incredible mercy. Abram remembers all of this and he's blown away. And for those of us who grew up in performance-based homes where everything was, you got to do this and you, gotta, you were always measured by performance. 
I want you to know God's goodness and grace is going to be hard for us to understand. But this is who God is. Our relationship with God is not performance-based. It is grace-based. Our relationship with God is not based on our goodness. It's based on his goodness. Our relationship with God is not based on how holy we are, but on how holy God is. And uh, may I tell you something? Few people grasp this truth that our relationship with God is not performance-based, but it's based on grace. And if you can grasp that today, you are way ahead of the entire world. Uh, Man is always trying to earn God's favor. And when we sin, we feel guilty. And you know what we say? We say, oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm going to make it up to you. I'll never do that again. You liar. <laughs> and we say, God, I'm, I'm just, I'm blue. And I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm, I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to say 10 Hail Marys every single day. I'm going to do penance. I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to read your word. I'm going to, I got a little bread of life little thing right by my toaster. I'm going to get the little bread card out. I'm going to read the little devotion every single day. I'm going to serve you. Lord, I, I mean it, man. I mean, I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm going to work in a soup kitchen. And I'm going to go to a soup kitchen once a week. I'm going to work in a soup kitchen. And you know what God says? Don't bother. Don't bother. That is the wrong way to come to me. There is only one person who can come in through my door. The person who understands that entrance into my house is all based on my love for you. Is all based on The astounding grace of God. That is the only person that can come into my house. And if you come into my house by doing your morning 5 a.m. prayer and your morning bread of life card and your soup kitchen work, Jesus said, I will say to you in that day, many will come to me and say, hey, didn't I read my daily bread of life? Didn't I work in a soup kitchen? And he will say, I never knew you. You didn't understand my love for you and you never entered in to the relationship of abounding love that I offered you repeatedly. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity who is trying to elevate your own self-righteousness. There's a verse in Galatians, incredibly powerful. Let it sink into your heart. It's on your screens. You have been estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from what? Grace. Grace. Let's read it as a unified voice together. Go ahead. Wow. Any of you want to be estranged from Christ? Me neither. May we never then come to him by our own merit. 
And when we sin, may we be just like Abraham who run back to the altar and say, Lord, I'm such a knucklehead. I blew it. Lord, I see the folly of my ways. I acknowledge my sin before you. I did not trust you. Lord, I want to get right back on track with you. And you know what God will say? Great. You're forgiven. Now receive the fullness of all the inheritance that I have for you. Walk in it. Receive it. And possess all that I want to do in your life. That's the amazing grace of God. And he's amazing. And here's what will happen. Uh, Yeah, you may want to wake up at 5 a.m. and pray. And you may want to read your Bible in the morning. And you may want to work at a soup kitchen. But you're not doing it to earn God's favor. You're doing it because you're in awe of God's love. Big difference. Same actions. Big difference. All the difference in the world. And then when you stumble and fall, you're not depressed because you're astounded that you could stumble. You're astounded that you could stumble? I'm, amazing you can, I'm amazed you can get up in the morning. Right? I mean, how do I put my shoes on at the beginning of the day? Only by the grace of God. Right? You see, we have a sin nature. And apart from God leading and guiding and directing us, we would never make it. We don't need the devil to tempt us. We are all plenty capable all on our own, right? And it's only by abiding in Christ uh, uh, that this happens. God loves us because he's good, not because we're, we're good. And uh, then when we begin to say, Lord, I just want to know you, man. I want to wake up at 5 a.m. because I want to start my day with you. I want to work in the soup kitchen because I want to tell everybody about how amazing you are. This is the heart that God is trying to build in us. Abram's not doing this because he's trying to earn points with God. He's doing this because God has worked in his heart. This is the man. This is the woman that God is building. This is the work that he does, and it's marvelous. Abram is able to forgive Lot because Abram is looking at God's forgiveness and grace towards him. And this is what inspires him and empowers him to do the impossible. There are two reasons that we struggle to forgive. We learn this from Abram. We learn it all through the Bible. Two reasons that we struggle to forgive. Number one, we're high-minded. I can't believe Lot did that against me. What in the heck was he thinking? We're high-minded. Abram didn't do that. He said, I can believe Lot did that. I did the same thing to God. I chose the best for myself. I didn't trust God's provision. I did... I rebelled against him. I went to Egypt. I get it. I understand how Lot did that to me. Abram was not high-minded. And if you can't forgive, I just hate to tell you, sorry, you think too highly of yourself. Sorry. Secondly, second reason that we, we're not, that we can't forgive, we're not looking at the, at the grace of Jesus on us. Abram was. Lord, I saw what you did when I went to Haran. I saw what you did when I went to Egypt. I saw what you do in my life every day. Lord, you're amazing. Nothing for me to forgive this, this guy. I, I get it. I mean, just nothing, right? And uh, so may we be smart in that. The second bizarre point for us to ponder is this. God miraculously uses Abram to save who? Lot. Let's think about this further. God miraculously uses Abram To save the guy who's living in the wickedness of Sodom? 
God who is miraculously using Abram to save the guy who is currently sinning against him? Yep. That's the heart of your God. And again, Jesus said, I would leave the 90 and 9 to go after my son who's living in Sodom and Gomorrah for whatever reason. This is who God is. Uh, against all odds, Abraham and his 318 soldiers gained victory over an army of four kings that had just defeated five nations. There is no way 318 guys could do that. Impossible odds. How in the world did it happen? There's only one way. God was in every detail. God gave Abram the discernment to send this many troops over here and this many troops over here. And God was working even in the camp of the enemy. And they got all drunk and sloshed. And who knows what happened. Uh, but God was in every detail. And it was not by might. It was not by power. But it was by God's spirit that the victory was won. And God did it all for a single backsliding man. The amazing grace of God and I want you to see this God's grace is astounding look how far God will go to save us and to bring us back to himself and if you are here this morning and you are drowning in your failures you are drowning in your guilt of sin and if you're thinking that God could never forgive you and that you've got to clean yourself up and get yourself back on track, I want you to know you could never be more wrong. You can't clean yourself up. And if you try, you will only become more prideful and self-righteous. And God will accept you back. Listen to the story. It's in every page of the Bible. Listen to your God who went to a cross on your behalf. And while he was there with his skin filleted open and his hands pierced and his feet nailed and a crown of thorns on his head, blood dripping down his shoulders out of socket, writhing in pain. And there we were on the ground mocking him saying he saved others and he can't even save himself. And that God would say, say it with me if you know it, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. God sees our stupid, selfish, sinful ways. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue. Oh, the astounding grace of our God. I saw this... Uh, Really cool meme, uh, and I thought I would share it with you. Uh, go ahead and put it on the screens for me. Let me hear you read this, church. There is a common mindset in heaven amongst every person there. Let's read it one more time. There is a common mindset in heaven amongst every person there. What is it? Do you want to know what it is? Don't you want to know what it is? You got to say yes or I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Here's what it is. Check it out. There is no one there that thinks they deserve to be there. Wow. 
We all know how messed up we are. And we all know how amazing God's work is. And we're going to stand before him. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he's going to give you a mansion in heaven. And a territory to oversee and to rule over. And he's going to give you crowns and rewards. And when you receive them, you know what you're going to say? I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve any of this. Lord, that was all you're doing. We are just unprofitable servants. Just doing what we should. Just responding to your amazing love. And this is how we grow we just know we trust we rely on god's astounding mercy to bring every rich and abundant blessing into our life are you stuck in sin are you feeling incredibly guilty you have two choices pull yourself up by your own bootstraps or come to a fountain of grace where the grace and mercy and the riches of god flow freely Jesus will forgive you. And if you want to forgive someone but you can't, just remember, you're thinking what? Too highly of yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord and watch his power begin to work in you. And as you look at Jesus and all the grace and mercy that he pours out on you, you will be filled with his Holy Spirit to awe and wonder and you will do the supernatural in Jesus' name. This is his plan for his people. This is the heritage of the saints. And it all begins at the table of communion, which we're about to partake. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.